Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have a couple of owner operators in the mobile home park space on the show in Mr. Dylan Stewart and Alex Donalo of Mavdon Investments. Dylan and Alex uh, have always had entrepreneurship in their blood. Both individually were in the single family business and partnered up on the single family side to form Mavdon. Uh, as they continued uh, with their nationwide single family flipping, uh, it wasn't until the end of 2018 when they closed on their first mobile home park outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Since then, they have closed on six more mobile home parks with several more in escrow. Uh, they currently own 117 lots and are closing on another 176 uh, in June here in 2021, so next month. Uh, they have been able to build a rock star team around them to find, purchase, and turn around value-add mobile home parks. In addition, they love to give value to other investors through their uh, Facebook and YouTube channel. Uh, the Facebook group is called the Elite MHP Investing Group. Dylan and Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, definitely excited to be here with you and your listeners. It's an absolute pleasure to be on and look forward to diving in here. So, Totally, totally. Don't beat us up too bad. Oh, definitely not. Uh, maybe you guys can start out by telling us your story and how you how you got into manufactured housing. Yeah, well, it was um, you know for for me it was just this serendipitous thing. You know, it, we were actually trying to sell a single family property. I'll, I will correct you. It was the end of 2019 that we bought our first mobile home park, so it was even less time under our belt. But we feel like we're doing well, and so. We were trying to sell a single family deal. We did a test blast and this buyer was like, hey, I'm not looking to buy, but I'm looking to sell a mobile home park. And us as investors, we look for opportunity no matter where that is. And we knew that we wanted to get into larger deals. We just didn't know when that opportunity would arise. And so found this park and it, it um, is just right outside of St. Louis, not far from your Edwardsville property too. And so um, we ended up buying it and then bought a few more around there. And then just as we went through 2019, stabling and figuring out how to do this mobile home park investing thing, uh, we really started ramping things up at the end of uh, this past year and just are, we're continuing to. And so we, we love it. And, you know, like we said, we got a team around us that we kind of continuing to fill in the positions so Alex and I can focus on running the business um, and working in the business and working on the business. Yeah, I love that. So literally, you guys just through your single family wholesaling business sourced a mobile home park seller. Yeah. Yeah. And so I will say like, you know, mobile home parks had been on the horizon. That was kind of an angle. Like everybody else were like, all right, we want to get into, you know, mobile home parks, self-storage, you know, but it was more like a five-year goal at the time. We had really just started getting the systems in place for our single family to where, you know, we could actually consider ourselves like successful wholesalers. It was really just to that point. Like we were building momentum. We had the team in place even to where the team was like, really, now we're, now we're buying mobile home parks. Like we just got all this in place. And, but for Dylan and I, we just knew we couldn't really pass down that opportunity. We had a mobile home park seller, a great price. I mean, it was um, 12 lots, 150 grand. There was, you know, uh, 
lot rents were at 150. We just saw dollar signs, you know, and all, all public utilities. And so, you know, we just went, we went for it and quickly realized if we were going to scale it, it was going to require our full attention. And so, but yeah, it was just through osmosis of our single family that that first deal kind of came into place, but it was on the horizon. And that was what kind of made us quickly pull the trigger. Yeah. And it was interesting because for us, we had to kind of take some steps back because when you're flipping single family properties, it's a transactional lucrative business. And so now we're saying, Hey, we're, we're sacrificing it in the short term of maybe our income to folks on the long term of the owning these properties, having legacy wealth. And now, just as you mentioned, it's like, we can take our portfolio from 117 lots to, you know, over 300 in such a short time, just by buying the right properties. And so it's super exciting. It gets us fired up, our team fired up and just the impact we can make. Yeah, that's, that is so amazing. You know, a lot of people have been hearing about mobile home parks and it's, it's kind of this buzz asset class right now, like this buzzword, you know, from bigger pockets and, and other avenues, people are kind of flooding to this, but you guys kind of stumble upon it on somewhat of an accident is, you know, very serendipitous. So that's uh, that's pretty neat. You know, what has been the toughest hurdle for you guys in the business? I think for for us, if I'll hit on that first, like we coming from the single family space and running an acquisition based business, we've kind of always understood that um, finding the deals. And then, of course, if you have the right deal, getting the money in place has been simple because, you know, money kind of flocks to a good deal. And then, of course, now for us is we want to, you know, as you mentioned before and other people talk about is is you can take uh, a bad operator can take a good deal to bad, but a good operator can take a bad deal to excellent. And so for us, as we know in this industry, you know, being younger entrepreneurs, we want to master that operational side of things. You can find a deal, but how are you going to actually be able to refinance out? Are you going to be able to exit at your cap rate that you're looking for? Are you getting your expenses to where they need to be? Are you still operating way too high? And so um, I think the operational side has been something that we've really, really been um, overcoming and, you know, getting a bit more systems in place, keeping it. Uh, replicatable because as we're buying new deals, it's just, we want to have like clockwork. We have our checklist, yeah. we have our systems and management in place. And so, um, and then managing construction has always been um, something that we're constantly learning. And so we've, we have a team member that's solely focused on that, um, on managing construction. And then we're bringing in a team member to do infill and stuff like that. So just the operational side has been um, fun. I think and that then, right there, you're t- yeah, I mean, because for us, it's the biggest thing I would say to sum that up is like, what a lot of people touch on is the paradox of trying to scale a team. Like, do you scale, how quickly do you scale? How quickly do you hire? Like, is it too early? Is it too soon? You know? And so for us, we, you know, the biggest thing has been, if we're going to scale, we have to let go of more parts of the business, right. And focus on the bigger picture. And, and that's been the biggest, I mean, we were managing the first couple of parks. I mean, ourselves pretty much, you know, it was me and Dylan and then our site manager, uh, we had no management team in place. And, and so really that's just been an evolution of how, you know, how do we go to the drawing board and, and step back away from the business and delegate. And we really just, um, we kind of just finally made a decision to say, all right, we're going to hire every position that needs hired. If there's a hat that needs filled, we're just going to hire them and we're going to make it work. And we trusted that process. Now we have this great team around us and you know, we never had to turn the lights off or anything like that. And so, yeah, that's great. And, and I, I know from experience that that is uh, very tough to do, you know, for, for new operator and, you know, you come into the business and, and what you end up doing is sacrificing cash flow to invest into your management company. Uh, 
So maybe you can touch on that. You know, how did you guys learn the operations side? Was it just trial by fire? You kind of just jumped in, you know, did you go to the Frank and Dave boot camp? You know, uh, what, what'd you guys yeah. do to learn? Yeah. So I'll touch on that. I mean, just to preface real quick too, like our jump into mobile home parks, like really all we knew going in was that it was like clean cash flow. That was kind of what we liked about it. It was like, it's better than rentals. You know, we don't, you know, kind of the, the basic fundamental benefits of mobile home park investing is what we knew. We were comparing it to single family, but we didn't know the whole bigger picture of the demand and the affordable housing crisis. We just hadn't gone so deep into how um, sure. hot this was going to be just, yeah, we just knew, Hey, this, this is way better than single family. So we kind of went in and we we're like, um, you know, we'll, we'll just hire a site manager, you know, they'll run it. This is to us, it was a big win just to have 12 units and to be collecting, you know, 1800 or 2000 in rents each month. Um, th that was a big jump on one property. And so we hired a site manager quickly ran into all the issues we could, you know, we were getting personal calls on our cell phones from the police. Um, you know, you're calls from residents that the manager was showing up drunk and like, it was just, you know, it was a mess. And, and so then we went um, third party uh, and that we had all the war stories that everybody, you know, fortunately we got, we got to like flesh out all the war stories early on with some small yeah. parts. We really yeah. did. I mean, our, our third party management was horrible. They didn't get anything done. We ended up filling in all the cracks. I'll, I'll let Dylan touch in because he really heads up a lot of the the asset management and stuff. And now, now our management system is really the key to our success. So I'll kind of let Dylan touch on the evolution of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, that's a good question for any investors to ask the operators that they're looking to invest with is how do you guys manage your properties? Do you guys outsource entirely to someone else or do you guys do it all in-house and get to understand how they do that? Because for us, like Alex said, we, we tried to outsource quickly. So there was a, a local management company and they were in single family and they had done some multifamily and we're like, Hey, we might want to trust these guys as they can grow with us. We shared the vision. It was aligned. And we just realized no one else cares about your property as much as you do. And so we had to take that back into our court. Um, and so since this, you know, me as a believer, I, I think God has a way and a plan bigger than ours. And so same thing, literally a serendipitous thing that we met um, another individual who was from Facebook. And I'd seen that she was starting to manage and operate some parks. She had done it for over a decade. And so I, I made a contact to her. I said, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. And over, you know, six months, we built a relationship and now she's with us full time. And so it's like, she still does a little bit with other parks and now as we're continuing to grow, she's riding alongside of us. And so she has, it's kind of like an umbrella under an umbrella, you know, she's exclusively with us. Um, but she has some team members in place to help with working with the residents, um, dealing with kind of just small repairs and everything. So that's how we do our management is, is fortunately, She's done it for a decade and she's continuing to do it. And so she does all of our collections. She's very, very diligent to giving us our reports and everything. And so we watch over it as like a hawk because now there's someone else involved to want to make sure that nothing's getting dropped. But um, it was kind of exciting. This park we just closed on this past Friday. This was the first time to where, you know, she was actually out on site meeting with the residents. We weren't even there. She was doing face-to-face -face saying, hey, new ownership, new management, contact me directly. And the closing part of that, I was the one doing that. And so even though she was still doing the operations, I was the one actually meeting the residents. And so it was kind of an exciting milestone for us to be, um, you know, fully disconnected from the residents. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's really great. Uh, so as you guys grow, do you plan to, you know, grow the management company in house or is it like this umbrella under your umbrella that's going to like help build her, her business or how does that work? 
so she's she's our we're going to grow with her. Right. And I, I know it's kind of confusing because everybody does it differently. And I think that's one thing that's so crucial about this industry is it's find what works for you. Not everybody wants to go to 5,000 lots, 50,000 lots, 500 lots, whatever it is. And so for us, this structure, um, she's going to grow her team and um, we're going to be very involved having our metrics and KPIs. She's, she's a team member and her team members are our team members. Well, she'll probably listen to this. The truth is right. she'll probably want to branch out, but we're going to try to keep her in house. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, we want to keep her in house, but she's really good at what she does. And she's specific to mobile home parks. And she saw a demand and a void in the industry for yep. good in-house management that could be system, you know, that could be systemized. And so she's great right now, you know, our, she manages our whole portfolio and will continue to do so. And hopefully it'll stay that way. And, and that was the goal, you know, in the beginning, we we're like, all right, the only way to make this work is to go in house. It's just a matter of when, and when do you find the right person? And fortunately, like Dylan said, she kind of solicited her services and it just, you know, it's been absolutely great. I mean, she's, she helps with our investors, you know, sending out reports, you know, doing project updates, it's like a three-tier system between Dylan, her, and the site manager. It's just really working very smoothly so far. And it's giving us that confidence going into these bigger parts. You know, our first, you know, we're closing on 124 unit. And, um, uh, you know, couldn't imagine trying to do that the old way with us managing these. And so, yeah. And, and just to touch on that even more. So we still have a, a virtual ex- assistant exclusively that does our unit marketing, um, screening, and then, you know, seeing if they're qualified to move in. And so we still manage that 100% because we don't want someone else to slow down, not saying that this individual would, but we don't want someone else to slow down how quickly we can fill quality residents into the park. And so we still control that. Yeah. How do you guys source your deals? Every way we can, honestly. So we use primarily cold calling. Honestly, one thing that's worked really well for us is even when we're when our, our acquisition guy knows that if he's having a phone call with a seller um, to look on Google and hop down in Street View, as weird as it sounds, it's old fashioned, it's kind of slow. You can hire a virtual assistant to do this. We've done that, but you, they might not be on Google, but they have a sign in front of their park going down to Google Street. And so we have him constantly building a database, um, calling sellers that way. And then online, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. And and one tip for, for your listeners, um, you know, we'll, we'll give out some nuggets is even when you see people selling mobile homes, um, contact them, say, Hey, you know, I saw you're selling a few mobile homes. Do you want to sell the park? Um, because someone, if we have a mobile home up for sale and someone, someone contacts us, we're owners, we're operators, and we will be open to an offer. So other people might do the same. And I'd really say we do more, it's really more targeted marketing to this day than any sort of shocking approach or anything like that. I mean, we pull lists, but there's so much bycatch. Our cold callers end up complaining that this list is trash or whatever. And so it's like, you know, it's like, you have the best luck really if, going and doing targeted marketing craigslist works great if people are selling mobile homes and you can get in touch with the actual owner of the park who just listen to home or renting a home um that's been a great fruitful source we're now that we're now that we're in heavy acquisition mode we have bought a couple of wholesale deals just because um the right deal comes our way we enjoy working with wholesalers and um you know there's there's lots of deals to be had it's just um you know for us we find that uh some of the best deals that work for our model don't end up on the lists. Even we find them on Google. <laughs> and so yeah. don't, don't deny that approach by any means. Yeah. And, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your deal criteria. You know, what is, what is that model? What, what is the, you know, the park that Mavdon investments goes after? 
Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if I can backtrack on one thing, and hopefully this is applicable to your listeners, Andrew, is whether if you're an investor passively or actively, always respond to your emails with a wholesaler or a broker. If they're sending you a deal, like we are on a VIP list because we've executed on deals with some wholesalers. So now we see those first. Even if I see a deal or acquisition guy sees a deal and it doesn't meet our criteria, we will still email an offer. We've had offers come in at 200,000 less and we've literally gotten a reduction over an email without even talking to say, hey, it's probably not gonna work. Here's where we're at or 500,000, whatever it is. So always give people your feedback. Don't say, hey, it's not gonna work. Say, why? Location, size, you know, the quality of asset, price. Um, give people feedback so that they can find better deals for you in the future. Um, but our criteria, primarily, we... We'll look, we prefer to have 30 homes. Everybody says lots, but we look at homes, right? Um, because you can have a hundred lot park, but if there's five homes, is it like for us, we don't want to do that massive infill right now. Um, and so we at least want 30 homes, but preferably over 50 lots, public utilities, everything that everybody else has. Um, we have, we just bought on a treatment plant um, in Ohio. And the only reason we did that is because we can hook into public utilities there. Very nice. Yeah, that'll be a huge, huge project. Is that like gonna happen or are you guys that's planning underway it? yeah that was yeah. kind of it was a fun um a fun project we worked with um a wholesaler out there out of ohio and um yeah did a lot of due diligence on this deal did a lot of spoke with a lot of mentors and consultants just about the packaging plants and and how that was going to go and 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 that was just kind of the light bulb that went off we're like all right you know if we can if we can get approval to tap into the sewer before we close and like you know that's like just it's a golden nugget and then yeah. worst case like the packaging plant is really in good condition we met with the the servicing company we saw the backlogs you know it was just something we we felt pretty confident in and then we just we just worked really hard and kind of got approval before we even closed we had the city willing to give us a grant fortunately they're very adamant on getting everyone off those packaging plants out in this particular area and so it's underway right now we actually just we just finalized um, a uh, refinance on that. We're getting nice. the funds for that and that'll kind of finish up the project. The engineers are finalizing plans and stuff. So we'll definitely keep you apprised on, on how the, our first conversion goes because lots of people want to know how, you know, updates on that, but we're definitely feeling good about it. So. Yeah, that's great. And, I mean, that's, that's value add right there, you know, the hard way. And I and think as another far as thing criteria, for, I mean, like Dylan said, you know, a lot of the, a lot we're doing heavy you know heavy uh cold calling and stuff so really we we can be picky with our utilities and stuff i mean we're pretty much buying all public utilities um tenant owned homes and then the biggest thing is just running it through our our pro formas and making sure it's going to hit since we're working with outside capital making sure it's going to hit um you know refinance profits and cash on cash and everything and um that's kind of the main thing other than that we can get creative if there's park owned homes we'll play around with them if we've got to do infill we'll play around with it. it just depends on it. we're getting 21st approved right now and kind of actually just brought in a, a, a infill specialist who is going to strictly handle that for all of our parks so it's going to help us i think up. that's huge man and a lot of operators wow. yeah a lot of operators shy away from big infill projects you know because it is a lot of work there, there's no no doubt about it you know and it's tough you know, with transporters and installers to, you know, with third parties to get them to like, you know, you know, abide by your schedule. So I think that's huge that you're going to have some someone just dedicated to that because, you know, you can really double your money, 
you know, if you can say a budget, what, what's your budget to fill an occupied lot, say with a used home? We're always factoring at least 20 to 25 grand. And if we do less, great. If we do more then hopefully <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not. Yeah. Which is great. And in Ohio and in Indiana, we've been able to do it for about 15, 15 yeah. grand, you know, to fill an, a vacant lot with a used home. Nice. You know, maybe it's metal on metal. Uh, but you know, you fill that lot, lot rents 350, you know, you, you just added about 30 grand plus to the value of the asset by filling that one lot and spending that 15 grand. So, yep. you know, that, that's uh that's a huge value to this business. In, in I love it. Well, another thing I'll say, because I know a lot of your listeners are more of a passive. And when, when you're looking to see if this deal makes sense for you to invest, um, make sure it's not hinging just on one thing if the, it's going to make or break the deal. So in this situation, us doing this treatment plant conversion and hooking up to public utilities, we made sure the deal still would work even if that fell through. And so that's a big thing is I see some operators out there like, oh man, we're going to be able to do this, this, and this. Like what happens worst, worst, worst case scenario? Does the deal still work? And for us, fortunately, we can say it does. That's great. Yeah, that's huge. Um, so what mistakes have you guys made and, and how did you recover from them? Oh man, so many going through my head. <laughs> I think one big one for me that, you know, is, is just, um, really verifying collections to a T. I mean, we're really thorough with DD in general. I mean, we, I would say that was a lesson learned in the beginning was just being more nonchalant with DD. I mean, I think in your first kind of deals, you're like, you know, you, you're ambitious, you want to get it closed you got Ernest in. Right. And, and like our first couple of deals we closed in house. And so it was, we were, we were just pretty ambitious to get them closed, but then things came out like collections and, you know, um, not having titles to homes and just small things that we didn't verify. So it's like, all right, be more tight with DD. But then specifically, I would say, you know, that's one thing that's really hard is you don't really get to meet every tenant face to face before closing on a deal. You get to look at financials, you get to kind of look at leases, get a feel for the demographic and everything, but, but really you don't know if day one, you're just going to have no rents show up. And, and so it really takes that on-site verification. And, um, and I think that's the, been the biggest thing is like not being afraid to ask the site managers more questions or be more invasive or say, no, I want to get in and see all the homes, just making sure you're super tight with DD and then being extra conservative on your performance. I mean, what can go wrong if, if you do that. Right. And so that's, that's one thing we do is like, anytime, you know, I do a lot of the underwriting, the financial models performance, and then Dylan will review it and kind of the, the whole team will review and be like, all right, how can we be more conservative? How can we account for more, you know, and that's what we do. And then if it still meets, like we're closing, baby, you know, that's just kind of, yeah. that's kind of our model. And so I think that's, that's one thing that still to this day, there's really no system around how do you just verify that every tenant's actually paying rent just going off some pieces of paper. And, and so um, good, strong DD and just getting to meet the site manager, I think is important as well. Yeah. A couple of ways, you know, would be like, you know, bank statements, but you know, if, if a lot of these mom and pops are still collecting cash, you know, and, and they might not make it to the bank statement that, you know, that's a, that's an issue, which we run across a lot. Um, and then there's a stopple certificates, you know, which has, has saved us a couple times where, you know, the, the, the seller didn't have the security deposits correct and things like that. Uh, but yeah, due diligence is so important. And we, every deal we buy, we learn something new and we add to our DD checklist and, and you just get better and better as you go on. So 
Of Uber. course, and just to preface, Uber. yeah, of course, if you've got tax returns and bank statements, it's helpful. And we're closing on a lot of those smaller mom pod deals where there is some trust going into it. And that's why as you scale into the bigger deals and you let the banks do a lot of the work for you, um, it's nice to, you know, really make sure everything's in place and, if, and have, you know, your agency bank's going to close with you. You know, you got a good deal in place as well. And yeah. I think you hit on a really good point, Andrew, that we've been discovering that is and expected it. Each deal, you're going to learn something new. And I think a big difference from just an investor and an operator, someone who's a business owner, is when you learn things, you put it into a system and a process and make it duplicatable. And so that's one thing that we've been learning constantly is like something comes up, immediately make it duplicatable for the next closing. And so I think another mistake that we made before is just we're so excited to close on a deal, but that sometimes things go and miss. And so just make sure as simple as it sounds that everything's ready for closing from are the residents going to be able to pay online? Who are they calling? Are, is your, for we, we use CallRail for a number flow. It's like, can they speak to site managers, general managers? Like, how are they getting hold of you? And so there's so many small things and just making sure you're ready for that transition. And secondly is just construction, making sure when you're working with contractors that you have an agreement in place when you're starting, when you've finished, and how much are you going to pay me if you don't finish work on time? Yeah. Or what's kind of those expectations? And so having it clear with them throughout the project. Yeah, one thing we ran into, you know, just dealing with a lot of these like more, you know, handyman types instead of like full-on general contractors is, you know, making sure that they'll guarantee their work. You know, yeah. like if, if the, you know, you, you sell a home, someone moves in, you know, we, we make sure it's in our contracts that, hey, if something happens, they're going to come back and they're going to guarantee that job. Uh, and that's been, that's been huge because the last thing you want to do is have to, you know, chase people down. Let me ask you guys this. This is a big one. What are the most important things that passive investors, you know, we're talking limited partners, what do they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? Great question. Um, the first is obviously, I mean, the operator, I would say, if you're going to be investing passively, like, like we've already discussed, you know, um, the operator comes first, finding and verifying and speaking with an operator that's um, finding good deals, understanding what criteria makes for a good deal, um, making sure that they understand your goals. Are you looking to be into the parks long-term? Are you looking to kind of turn your money around short-term? Um, and then, you know, what sort of structure are you looking for too? A lot of, to be honest with you, a lot of our structures have been more joint ventures and investors that are like, look, I, you know, I took Frank and Dave, I want to be a part of this. I want to learn. I, I kind of maybe have a long-term goal of owning my own park someday. How can I bring a little more to the table and kind of do more of a joint venture structure? Unfortunately, with us being doing some smaller parks up to this point, we've been able to do that and get some some wind in our sails working under joint ventures. And then also that's helped build our network and, and uh, expand our network. And so as far as the parks specifically, um, you know, again, what's the exit strategy? What's the backup plan if the exit strategy doesn't work? Um, you know, how many people are in place is if you're an LP, is there a sponsor in place? Um, what's the structure for the sponsor and how many GPs are in place? I think just getting to verify the, the operational system, the management system, to me, those are the first things that come to mind. If I've never obviously invested passively in a deal, but if I was knowing what I know, that's the first thing I would look at was the management system, who are the operators. And then I would go into the logistics of the deal and really just make sure that, um, you know, there's a backup plan when things don't go wrong. One, two, three exit strategies, which we, which we make sure to have on all our parks. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's and, and asking those tough questions too, right? Like if something happens with the operator, who's managing the deal? Um, yep. If something were to happen to the property, who's account or who's responsible for that? You know, if the LP, you know, has something catastrophic happen, they need to get their money out. How is the GP working with them on that? You know, like different things. And we're not attorneys. And like I said, you know, we um, still haven't done a full syndication yet, but we're constantly educating because we're still working with investors on a partnership basis at this moment. Um, and so we want to be able to answer those. And um, another thing is the GP in this situation should know the deal. Like as an LP, you should be able to ask any questions. Say, hey, I was going through, your, you know, we had the same conversation yesterday, Alex. You know, we had investors say, hey, Exactly. Ask about collections, delinquencies, how's, you know, the billbacks going? Because I noticed on the spreadsheet, it said this, and you should be able to ask and answer those pretty, pretty quickly because you know the deal well. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd be curious to know. Sorry, go ahead. Last thing is, I I think we gave good insight into the raw transparency of what a good operator or what an investor should ask is that, you know, any team, no matter how well structured no matter how well the systems are in place like things get missed any deal things get missed and it's your job as an investor to kind of go through verify the documents and um while you want to know and trust your operator you also want to go through and and see if there's anything they miss and that's one thing i mean when it when investor brings something up and they're like hey i went through the pro forma and i saw this like you know we don't try to argue or like you know let pride get in the way we we go back and work on it we see it as another eye on the deal you know, and so be afraid, don't be afraid to pick apart the deal and ask the hard questions too. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what, what is one of the best questions you've been asked by an investor? Hmm. That would be more for Alex, I think, on the conversations you've had. Yeah, the best question we've been asked by an investor. I think well, I'm going to add this to like my regular role right. questions because I think you know, this conversation brought that up, you know, that's, that's good to ask operators. You know, I think one of the better questions I got, uh, and I get it consistently is like, Hey, what is the worst case scenario? And, and yeah. like you mentioned, Dylan, like what happens, right. And, and they always ask about the tornado situation where the tornado comes through and rips up, you know, half the trailers in the park, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, we, we have loss of income insurance that would, would help with that. And that's a big, you know, safe fail there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's, it's pretty unlikely, you know, knock on wood here that, <laughs> yeah, uh, better. You know, that, that the whole park would be mixed, you know, captured out of there where usually, uh, you know, maybe a couple homes would be affected, but not the whole park. And that's, you know, probably why we don't buy in hurricane zones. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to be honest with you, nothing comes off the top of my head because Alex has more investor calls than I have um, on the hardest question. But we did a call yesterday, actually, just because we're working with a heavy investor and we wanted to both be on there. Um, And a question that was asked is, hey, there's high rent owns on this park. You know, what happens in the event of a lot of them default? They decide to move out or, you know, how do you know, same thing. How do you evict someone with a tenant owned home, you know, do they have to move their home, this and that. So even though they're not hard questions, they're simple questions, but a good operator should know how to answer them. And well, so- Well, what's funny know, is before you brought up loss, loss of income, that was, it was an investor who, who uh, I think they got it from one of your podcasts actually brought up loss of income to us. And then we engaged loss of income. Like, I mean, that's how you grow, you know? An investor was like, hey, do you, you know, it's like we are three parts deep at the time, four parts deep. Um, and we, we hadn't been doing loss of income and we were working with mobile insurance and we would, 
um, we would try to get it on our parts. And then when we wouldn't get it the first go around, we just kind of like, all right, you know, and then we learned later on just the importance of it. Right. And, but it was one of our investors who was like, Hey, you know, do you have loss of in income on the parks? You know, none of our parks were in at the time, any sort of, you know, major concern zones or anything like that, but it is a, a huge fail safe, like you said, to have in place. And of course I get the question uh, too all the time, you know, what's worst case scenario? What if you die? What if, you know, what if, uh the tornado comes through and and kind of you know just the like the matt faircloth answer to that is like investing is risky you know you're asking me could the worst absolute worst case scenario happen i guess on like a very rare day it could but you know from our track record and from the way we analyze deals you know most likely that's not going to happen and that's typically just my response to that you know yeah Uh, and it's nice there's two of you right so uh yeah you got a backup Exactly. Not that we, not that we would want anything to happen to either of it, but you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a question I've gotten before, and they want like, uh, you know, investors ask about, hey, do you have like a insurance policy, a life insurance? You know, uh, forget the the name of it, but like the important person insurance or something like yeah. that. Yeah, we did that. We went and did that because we. Well, it was another great thing an investor brought up. You know, investors will make sure to bring out all, make sure you're doing everything properly. There's no. And that's what a good investor should be doing is, is helping your operator. I mean, um, not that you should be doing their job for them, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a team effort in the end, as far as with us, with these joint ventures and everything, it's been great. And we give, we give some, you know, some of our heavy investors that, um, you know, and partners, they've got, you know, roles and responsibilities where they can help us verify, you know, invoices and contractor um, bids. And that really helps keep us in line of like, all right, you know, like, um, we're working with partners on this deal. And, and so that's, that's great. You know, that, that should, you know, for those passive investors listening, you know, if you can bring more than just money, you know, if you have that knowledge of, you know, the business and you can contribute, you know, that's, that's huge, especially, you know, for, for new operators, just getting started. Uh, you know, that's really good insights you're getting from your, your limited partners. Absolutely. And just to, you know, and that, you know, I'll plug for Neiman here, obviously he does all our our legal work and structures everything. And, and we will be moving into more LP um, situations now as we get into these bigger deals with his help. And uh, we're no professionals in that arena, but excited to be doing some syndications as well. And so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love Ferd. He, he's been on the show and yeah, a wealth of information. Yeah, oh, my mind's blown every time I have a phone call with him. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> the reason we pay the big bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, the amount of value we got. Yeah. Well, that's another thing for an investor who's looking to invest in a project or you're not, you're investing in a project, but you're investing more in the operator. And it's just the little things like Alex and I are very relational and personal people. And so are they responding to your emails in a timely manner? Do they answer your texts? Do they answer your phone calls? And like, I think there's, of course, a boundary. No one wants an investor who's just hitting them up every single two hours, every five, 10 days a week, whatever, you know. Um, but it's just, you got to be able to communicate as simple as it is, but then also be willing to learn. Like some people just can't take feedback. So when an investor challenges your model, your structure, um, is that person cocky or are they confident and can they take feedback? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good point. Let me ask you guys this. What hurdles does the manufactured housing industry face, uh, you know, in the future, say the next five to 10 years? I would almost say supply. You know, I think the demand's there, but it's the supply there. Um, I know um, 
Ryan Gibson, I think is his name, a gentleman who's developing up here in, in Washington, 200 and something plus community. And listening to um, you know his interview he did with uh, Ryan Naris or Ian, I can't remember who it was, but talking about the um, how difficult it really is to build a mobile home park. And there might be what, six to 10 going on across the country right now. And so even though you know politicians say that oh, we, we want affordable house and want this and that. Okay, well, then why don't you want us to develop? Why don't you want us to expand? Why aren't you working with us? And so I think that's one thing as we're continuing to grow is recognizing that um, it's going to kind of be hard if you if you have to expand your park or make that business model work. And so, because not every city or, or state wants to work with you in that sense. And I kind of see that as a, a good thing. Right, right. Because, right, like, for, for people that own mobile home parks, if you can't build any more, that limited supply, you know, really, you know, it kind of safeguards your asset, you right. know, safeguards your investment. So. Well, know, and I'll I touch guess. on that too, because I, you know, I know Frank, Frank touches on that a lot of, of both those paradoxes, you know, one being that the fixed supply obviously is driving the, the demand and the value of these parks up and protecting that asset long-term. And then I, but then he also talks about how municipalities hate them, right? They don't want them coming in. They, they lose, they lose money. And so new parks are kind of out of the question. My biggest fear, you know, my biggest fear is like, obviously, yeah, it's like buy all the parks up and you're fine and just hold them. But is the age of the homes, you know, all these pre-HUD homes that we're seeing and it's like some parks are filled with hundreds of them. And it's like, if operators aren't coming in and infilling new homes, like what, that's kind of my fear is like, will the rate of, um, will the rate of, you know, these, the, because we're demolishing these parks at a quicker rate than we're building them, right? So is that rate going to increase as we're not doing infill with new homes? And that's where I'm a huge advocate for, and I know Frank is for, you know, 21st and what they're doing is like, we want to combat some of the stigmas with newer, nicer homes. And it's like, you can do it. Um, you got to go the extra mile. And so maybe, maybe you have some insight on that, but that's, that's my biggest fear is like what happens when, I mean, you know, 50% of these homes aren't even habitable anymore. That is a, that is a really good point. And I think, you know, younger operators like us, you know, that'll be a challenge ongoing, right. Is the, the hidden CapEx cost as Ryan Norris refers to it, you know, like you get, you have a tenant owned home, you buy it, you, you don't consider, you know, that home turning over but then eventually a tenant just moves out and they just leave the home. They say, here's, here's the title. You guys take it. And then you take it over and it's a 10 foot wide, you know, tiny home. And, you know, it needs 12 grand worth of work. And you're like, geez, that's not even worth it. You know, I'm not going to be able to make that happen. So I think, you know, I think one point you brought up is the 21st mortgage. I think that's great, right? Like it helps the cash program. Uh, but, you know, I think it would be nice if there was like, you know, government, I know like a, a government program, right? For the financing of these homes direct to the purchaser of the, the manufactured homes to help them, you know, uh, purchase homes and, and have uh, better debt on these things where the park owners don't have to necessarily get involved, right? Because on the cash program, the park owner is, is guaranteeing the, the loan with the resident. There is some, you know, collateral there and benefit, but yeah, you know, I think that's a good point. You know, we need that fresh home supply, you know, to filter out these older homes, most definitely. Yeah, and that's something. Go ahead, no. Well, and I'll say this too, and I know I'm kind of backtracking. Alex knows I'm all over the place all the time, but um, is when an investor is looking at an operator's deal, 
and they're saying, oh, we're going to use 21st Market, we're going to use Triad, we're going to use Legacy, we're going to use this and that. Are they approved? Do they have dealer license in those states? Because that's what we're going through right now and getting approved through 21st and getting the dealer's license in these states, it's a lot of work. And fortunately, our underwriting doesn't rely on that. But I think if someone's never really actually been in those shoes, they don't, they might overestimate um, on how easy it's going to be when it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so something to keep in mind. Oh yeah. And it, you know, it can take six months, right. To get approved for the cash program. And then you got to order your homes. Right. And then, you know, this is just from my experience. Like we got like $150,000 line of credit is what it was like through the cash program. So we're, you know, maybe three homes, you know, so you, you wait six months and then you're only able to infill three homes. And then if those sell well, you know, then they'll increase your line of credit to, to more. Uh, but then to order the homes and get them delivered right now is taking like a year. Right. So it's, it's, you really have to change your pro forma, you know, of when you're thinking you're going to have an occupied lot. And you yeah. don't know this unless you're in the trenches because you talk to the 21st guys, you talk to Clayton or whoever the manufacturer, like, three to six months backup, but yet it's really a year. So it's the same thing. You have to be realistic about it. But it is, it is where us operators have to come together. You know, it sounds cheesy, but you know, it's a, it, it is a competitive um, hot industry right now. It's a hot sector, but it's like the more we can come together and let this, you know, let the entities see this demand and see how, you know, it's, again, it sounds cheesy and ambitious, but I have this vision of, you know, making mobile home parks cool again. And just like a lot of you, uh, us operators do is like, you know, getting some, some of the younger crowd in there, getting some better direct to consumer loan products, like you were talking about. Um, and, and seeing how we can, you know, I mean, us operators are going to keep doing our thing and we're going to keep bringing in homes and the more we can work with the municipalities instead of against them, the better. And so definitely hopeful and, and, we'll add value to that movement as, as, as we see uh, our opportunity for sure. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So let me ask you this. What is the value proposition at Mavdon investments and what makes you guys different from other operators out there? It's a good question. I think, um, and that's a big question. A lot of investors have to look at because there's some amazing operators and there's some amazing deals. And I think the biggest thing is, is you have to, like for us, what sets us aside is I think we've built really good relationships with our investors and they like, know, and trust us. And they're confident in our ability to fulfill what we promised them. Um, and so I think if we can get nitty gritty with, oh, we got our systems. We do great at marketing. We, we do, we're trying to better infill, you know, whatever. And I, I just think that's one thing that's helped us grow is our relationship with our investors that they know that we're going to do whatever it takes to, to protect their money, to protect their legacy. Because that's the big thing is they're putting a lot of trust onto us. And so they need to know that we're going to do whatever it takes work till two in the morning, get up at four in the morning like to, to take care of the capital preservation. And so I think that's just one thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. And so I'll touch on that. I mean, our, you know, our motto on our website is improving communities and providing affordable quality housing, quality affordable housing. So that comes first, right? I mean, that's our business model is we aren't slumlords. You know, we are, we're good operators and we're coming in and we're improving, we're improving these communities. We're making them nicer. We're, we're helping the tenants. We get gratification from that. Um, and we do have a spot in our heart for the affordable housing crisis and helping these communities. So that comes first Then how we fund these deals is with investor capital and so that it's very crucial first and foremost before 
providing any sort of return is to protect your invested capital, right? That comes number one. Um, and so we um, we make sure that we buy, that we do everything we need to be doing to be buying quality parks and be doing quality management to protect our capital. And, um, and then the cherry on top is them getting a return on their investment. So if you sum that up, you know, we improve communities and provide investors a return on their capital. Um, and the way we, we do that and grow our network is just through transparency and honesty. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, it's not our website or our deal flow because we don't have that huge of a reputation where we've been in the industry for two years. It's the fact that when people talk to us, they feel like we're honest, we're open, and we're not trying to hide anything. And so for, for active operators out there, that's the biggest advice I can get is not to flaunt, but just to, you know, have that growth mindset, that pupil mindset of ask questions and grow and be honest. And uh, we've lost deals because of it, but we are where we are because of it too, you know, so. Oh, that's huge. That's huge. I appreciate you guys sharing that. Um, well, wow. I mean, Dylan, Alex, this has been an, an absolute amazing uh, show. I really appreciate you both coming on. If our listeners would like to get a hold of you guys, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, definitely join our Facebook group where we're just, you know, Andrew's in there, a lot of guys in there. We're just kind of another group amongst many trying to add value to operators and share deals. It's elite MHP investing. And then just our website, mapdon.com. You can contact us through there, email us, uh, get on our email list and absolute pleasure being on here. Hope we added value to you guys and um, love learning from you, Andrew. And you've been a big, a big catalyst for our growth too. And, and just watching and learning from you and your guests. So yep. second that. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning as well on these episodes. You know, I, that's the, been the biggest takeaway for me is, you know, I'm interviewing all of these awesome operators in, in different stages, right. You know, from huge funds all the way down to buying their first park. And I'm just learning from, uh, from their experiences. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. Um, so let me ask you guys this one final tip to investors interested in getting into the space. What would be like your number one tip uh, that you would give them? This is for active investors, passive investors. I would say passive investors. Yeah. Just interested in the space. Like if they, if you were going to, if they were going to do one thing, what, what's the most important? Educated. Like, I think it's, it's very important for investors to be educated. And I think, if you're a doctor and a lawyer and, and you run a tech company or whatever it is, like focus on your craft, but you should know it's your responsibility and your due diligence to know what you're investing in. Um, and so I think understand the space a little bit. Like you should, when you're understand, when your operator is talking or sharing what's going on in the operation, you should be like, okay, yeah, I understand that because I went to this boot camp, I've watched these videos. And so that's, I think, important is um, it's not always, it's important that operators are educating their investors. But I think investors should already know a lot of the stuff. And so I think that's really important for them. So listening to Andrew's podcast, listening to other podcasts out there and just learning is important. Yeah. And then I, I think the biggest thing is like knowing your goals going in, you know, you, whether you're investing in mobile home parks or stock market or any other exchange for that matter. It's like if you don't know your goals going in, you might just lose money or you might miss opportunities. Right. If you're like, ah, it sounds good, but it could be better. It's like what are kind of your cash on cash goals, you know, what kind of returns are you looking to get? Are you looking to own long-term? Again, kind of those, those fundamental questions and then find, find an operator that's going to help 
um, align with that. And I just think look at a lot of deals, you know, be on a lot of lists and um, see what everyone's offering and, and get on the calls with these with these offers. You know, we love talking to investors and just tell them how we work and it doesn't always pan out, but we know maybe down the road it will. And so, um, but I think also don't be afraid to execute. If you know your goal in mind and the returns you want to make and what you're looking to accomplish, then when the right deal comes, all you got to do is verify the operator and, and execute it. Yeah, that's great. Of course, that's that's goes. I mean, obviously, anyone listening is already listening to the best podcast, you know, the past mobile home investing. And so um, that's that's they're already way ahead in that sense. But um, but yeah, keep educating, reading. I love what Frank and Dave offer. I love his kind of historian approach on just the importance of mobile home parks and why you should own a piece of mobile home parks. I think uh, the better you can understand that, the more um, you'll be ready to kind of move on some deals. I agree. I agree totally. And that was great advice, guys. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. That is going to do it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.